Hey Alexa, what's the definition of hustle? To be aggressive, especially in business or other financial dealings. You're listening to the H for Hustle podcast, designed to inspire future entrepreneurs to take the leap from working for someone else to pursue their passions and side hustles and turning them into full-fledged businesses. My name is Jerome Fenton. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with an entrepreneur that has taken that leap. We'll be talking about the lessons they've learned and how they've turned their passions and side hustles into full-fledged businesses. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. Another illustrious episode up ahead. And before we jump into today's guest, I want to tell you guys thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing with your friends and family and anyone else that you think this podcast can impact. Thank you so much for growing. Our numbers are just growing out of control. I want to say thank you so much for all that you guys have been doing to help grow this podcast. On today's episode, I have Greg Horton, the founder of Hughes Investments. And Greg's story is unbelievable. Um, he went into like the high ranks of, of, of corporate America and realized that wasn't a good place for him. He found a way out by working through his corporate job to get on the other side of like consultory, found a way to get equity in the company and then just really kind of like hustled his way through it. And he's a very, very smart guy. He has some very, very great insights and great answers to the questions that I gave. So I'm not going to talk too much. Let's jump into the episode. Let's do it. Boom. Boom. H for Hustle Podcast. Welcome back. We have another great guest on the show. Um, we have Greg Horton from Hugh Investments. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Jerome. All right. So, Greg, if I was to meet you at a, I guess, a virtual dinner these days, right? <laughs> what would I what, what would you say you do for a living? Oh man. So what I would say is um I own three companies. Okay. Uh I own a staffing company, a consulting company, and a real estate investment company. Got so it. I would say I'm an entrepreneur Got it, uh, at heart. Mm-hmm. And you, deep down, you just say, I'm a boss. Stop asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> I would no, I would say, of course, how can I help you, Jerome? Always looking for more revenue <laughs> for the revenue stream. So yes, how can Got I help it. you? Got it. So let's go back a bit. Like, um, where, where did you start from? Because I know you're not, you didn't like, weren't you born? You weren't a born an entrepreneur, right? So where did you start from? <laughs> where was your roots come from? You'd say? So, so. Uh, born and raised in uh, inner city Philadelphia, okay. uh, went to undergrad at Penn State, um, started working for some Fortune 50 companies uh, out of school. Uh, mm-hmm. Somewhere in there, negotiated my MBA being paid for by my newest employer. Okay, uh, smart. So I got my uh, MBA from Duke um, and actually was, again, working corporate, senior executive, uh, doing a lot of things. Um and what specific, like the specific positions you were playing in these? In these uh, sales, HR, and general management. But uh, I think my favorite was strategy and strategy okay. development. So that was uh, the one I was uh, best focused or most keenly focused on. From there, I did some things um, and decided, you know, to come, take a different approach. And a different approach was to go from an employee to kind of working with private equity and being not just an employee, but being an employee slash uh, equity owner uh, and getting a share of the pie, right? One of the things that I think frustrates people as they become senior executives 
is look at all the money I'm making this company with these decisions, mm-hmm. but I've got a set salary, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, so you don't really play in getting a piece of the pie. What you do is you're just another almost contract employee. This is yeah. what you're getting. This is what you're making. Have at it. Be nice. Doesn't make a difference how much your ideas or your effort generates revenue for the company. Here's your set paycheck. Yeah. When you work for private equity and you become part of the management team that has an equity share, now all of a sudden, all those efforts, you're going to see a payoff when the exit strategy of that company, usually five to seven years when you're doing private equity, sells to another private equity company or sells to another company within the industry. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So were you just because you wanted to make that transition to the private equity side because you just saw the amount of money that you were missing out on, or you just said, my skill sets aren't being valued here. Let me go over to the other side. Well, yeah. So there was, it was a combination of things. Um, One was just personally, I was just fed up, tired, and uh, just frustrated um, with dealing with fortune 50 and fortune 500 companies. It's just, um, they're just such cookie cutters in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the second piece was um, what I talked about. Like you put in all this effort, right? Especially when I was doing strategy for these large Fortune 50 companies and you could see the payoff that these companies were making yeah. based on the strategies you were helping them implement. Uh, or if you were a GM and you were bringing so much to the table in reference to revenues for your section of the business, but your pay was nowhere near that payoff. Yeah. So you go, I'm providing all this uh, development and growth, which is providing someone else equity but you don't have equity and they can pay you a bonus check, but it's still not, it's equity. not the same. Not right? the it's same. definitely not the same. Yeah. So, and the numbers are nowhere near the same. Um, so getting involved in private equity and I advise all uh, senior executives when they get to a certain level, learn and understand what the private equity market looks like, learn, understand how to get on a management team, being part of the senior leadership of a private equity company, a, co- a company that's owned by a private equity company. So you get a share of the equity of a company mm-hmm. and that can be huge and that can change your wealth, not only for you, but for generations if you hit the right one. But it's definitely going to be more than any corporation can offer you paying you bonus and salary. Got it. So, uh, so that's the reason I made the change. Um, so was- you kind of were almost like being a manager slash um, entrepreneur in a sense, working on right. the investment side. Yes. And because the private equity team, it all depends on the kind of deal you get into. Because you got to understand is the private equity team, financial team, buys these companies, Mm -hmm. right? And their expertise is finances. It's not running the companies. Yeah. So they want a management team that can run the companies extremely well and, of course, make them a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. So if you're a part of that team, you're going to get a lot of autonomy to execute what you need to in reference to growing that, developing that business. Because the truth... The true the, thing is just bring us the best revenue line possible. Correct. And that means what, of course, as their revenue goes up and they sell the company, when you're going to get a portion of the payout of the sale, right? Well, now all of a sudden, you've increased your personal wealth, wealth. and equity, okay. right? Based on that equity payout. So huge way to go. So yes, if you're climbing the corporate ladder, one of the things you've got to look at when you get to a senior level and a senior position is when do I move over to a private equity play? And stock options are nice from a corporation. Bonuses are nice and pay is nice. But equity at a company that's a private equity, that's owned by a private equity corporation, that's a heck of a lot nicer. Yeah, because you're getting the percentage of when that sale happens. Exactly. And you're still getting a nice salary and a bonus check too every year. Don't get that. Don't get it wrong. So you're still getting that stuff too. Got it. And now you have a chance to get a a windfall payout 
when the company sold. Got it. So it sounds like you were in a pretty good spot, right? What makes you say now it's time to go full on entrepreneur? Like, when do you make that decision? Because you could stay on the private equity side and kind of just keep, you know, being a manager for different companies. When do you make that (laughs) transition? Yeah. So I kind of, you know, get your hustle on, right? So (laughs) uh, I think the best way to transition for me was to use that chance when it was being bought by another company and I saw that it had holes. There were certain holes that had to be filled. And one of those was in consulting and staffing. Mm-hmm. So I used consulting and staffing, helped write my own contract as a vendor after, you know, right before the company was sold. It was actually a year before the company was sold. I knew the company was going to be sold. So I did this prior to the company being sold. So I established myself as a premier vendor for that business, knowing that it was eventually going to be sold. That's super smart. You put yourself, Mm -hmm. uh, you signed, you made the contract, sign your your own company up as the premier vendor. So when the new company comes in, they have no choice but to use you because you've already been grandfathered in. Correct. Correct. And oh, by (laughs) the way, smart. (laughs) And oh, by the way, you've also got pull, right? Because if you're doing your services right, they all love you. Mm Mm-hmm. So even though the new company comes as well, we use such and such. Well, we use this person. This is who we're going to go with because they're giving it's us the best service. And, and we got the right, best we contract. Love the service. Yeah. Right, exactly. So now, now they just kind of go with you and blend with you and say, okay, and then kind of roll with you from that perspective. So now you're doing um, what I believe is, you know, one of the important, important things I believe as an entrepreneur is learning how to farm your contracts. You don't want to be a hunter and just hunting all the time. And every time you got to go and hunt again, that's a whole lot of energy to bring in new customers every single time, right? The value is in keeping a customer and then understanding how to get more of their pocketbook or wallet into your revenue stream. That's a very good point because, you know, I always tell people the second sale is more important than the first, right? The first sale, you spend a lot of energy getting them, but if you do your job right, the second sale is easy because they've already trusted you. You develop you 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 delivered on the service you said you were, and they're more likely to spend even more money with you on the second go around than they did on the first. Right. And see, I would I would even frame it a little differently. I would say it's the first sale, but what I'm looking for is the first request. Got see, it. Because once you sell to them, now they should be requesting you. Mm, right. Because you did your job your so services, well. Right. Or yeah, like that's how the consulting thing started, right? Like, well. We need somebody can do this. Can do you know somebody can do? Well, yeah, well, I can do that, right? So it went from, okay, I'm gonna do some training classes for you know management 101 to, okay, now I'll do some higher level leadership classes. Now I'm doing an executive uh, class, a training class for all their senior executives. So, but that's because it became a request, right? We like your services. Do you know anybody else that can do something like this? But we need it for this. Well, I can create a program. That's even better than taking a cookie cutter program, right? We'll create a we'll create a program, custom designed based on your business. Got it. Right? Like, who doesn't want something custom designed for their own needs? Everybody. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm going to give it to you at a better rate that you're going to get from them. Why? Because I'm farming this client. Got yeah. it. And to and me, it's like any game. There you go. So, so. And this is probably going to be a negative thing to say, so you might want to edit this out later. But <laughs> what I would say is you can learn a lot from the drug game. Sometimes yep. you just need to get people hooked. Then once they're hooked and they're fiending for that product, then you can increase the price. You can increase the different attributes that you offer for different fees. But the initial thing is you need to get them hooked. 
right? I mean, they need I, to know that you're an entity that's out there and available. And then when they start requesting you, see that request? Now you know you got them. Yeah, because you're their premier customer, their premier person. Now they're the person that they go to. You're the go-to guy. Absolutely. Got it. And that's that's great. So you make that transition. You're providing um, staffing services and all those things for a company. And now you're fully on the entrepreneur side at this point. Correct. So um, my staffing team, I've kind of got them off on a separate group and a separate entity. Um, I still do some consulting. It's a little harder to do with COVID, right? Yeah. So uh, you still do some uh, one-on-one executive coaching, but it's harder to do the large training programs that we used to do all across the country. Um, so that's been kind of put on hold until COVID, but we've designed some kind of um, training programs that are online. Still not the same impact as doing it. Um, in person. In person, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try, just different kind of impact. And then most recently, we've been doing a lot more real estate. So I have a real estate team and we do um, we buy and sell real estate usually what I call, what I say, discounted real estate. We buy tax liens, tax deeds, and foreclosed properties. So we're looking for discounted properties, things we can get at a discount that we can either flip. Um, most of the time we're flipping them. Uh, sometimes we're holding them. And then the other times we're actually doing sometimes hard money loans uh, to investors who are buying, who they're doing fix and flips, right? So mm-hmm. Um, those are usually what we do in reference to the real estate group. So I'm spending more of my time doing those things. Um, I still have my staffing company. I still run it. I have a person who leads it and everything else. And I've actually given them equity, right. In the company. So I know that they have their heart into the game. So less management for me. Um, and the consulting, like I said, I assume that'll come back or I'll push more of it to come back once I know that we're in a different kind of environment. But in the meantime, I'm still doing the one-on-one coaching. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, right? So um, a lot of this audience, they're like, they suffer from fear, right? Like they suffer from, I want to, I want to make this transition, but I got this great, great corporate job. And I think your story, you know, kind of hands to this, they have this great corporate job, but they know ultimately that's not where they want to be. What advice would you give that person who wants to make that transition, but just are stuck in fear? So I think the biggest part of fear that most people have is they're going to hangle shingle and get no customers. I think that's the biggest fear that most people will have. Yeah. If you could leverage your current customer, I mean, your current employee, uh, employer to be your first customer, that would give you, let go of some of that apprehension. Because mm. now as you hang this shingle, you know, automatically you've got an opportunity because you know everybody and all the players, you know what's important to this organization. And if you can just feed them something, that would be great. So in my mind, I'm hearing take what you already do as a job and like just turn yourself into an LLC and have them pay you that way. Or you're saying take one of the services you provide them and, and ask them to be your first customer. I'm saying think about a service you want to provide. Okay. okay? So it could be you could be an accountant, but you're looking to get into janitorial services. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm saying versus hang a shingle. And going to get customers, start first with your employer. Got it. What does their janitorial services look like? Okay. Is there an opportunity there? Can you talk to the people in charge about the opportunity to do that, to do janitorial services? Got it. Right? The thing is, they already like you. You're already providing something for them. You're an employee. They, they already You already know everybody in the building. It's an easier face for them to work with. Exactly. So, you know, and you know, the players, 
right? Yeah. You know the power structure of the company. Who Who's going to say yes to that, right? Who's the person who's going to agree to this contract or not? So my point is, leverage the relationship you have with your current employer first to see if there's an opportunity. Got because it. see, once you get that first customer and there's a consistent revenue stream coming in, it's not then you become more emboldened yeah. to jump out on your own and do some other things, right? But try first to leverage your current relationships, starting with your employer. Got it. Um, I Listen, I know my audience so well. Someone's going to be like, so how do you do that? Like, so, <laughs> I, don't know that, I don't know if that's giving away too much of the sauce or how would you- No, no, no. Listen, I'm always about giving up sauce to, to, to as many people as possible, right? Because we want as many people to be successful as possible, right? That's why we do what we do, Yeah. right? So if you think about it, so what's the sauce? So the first thing is you need to clearly understand what is it you want to be involved in, right? What what entrepreneurial um, challenge do you want to take on? What's your business? What's your entity? And you've got to clearly walk through and define, is this the right business opportunity to step off on? Okay. Mm -hmm. Is the market there for it? Not just, is it something you want to do, but is the market need there for it? What's the niche you're going to fill, right? And then after you do that, so figure out first, make sure you got the right um, Business. business that you're going to go after. Then as you look at your company, who provides that business to your current company? Okay, so again, we use the example of janitorial services. Who are they using? They're using Jana King, whoever, whatever. What are they paying for their services? And what is their biggest gripe when they talk about those services? Yeah. So how can you become a better supplier knowing what you know? And because you have the inside track pretty much. Correct. You know what they're paying. So you know you can always beat the cost, right? You know what their biggest gripe is. So that's one of the first things you're going to address on the presentation, right? Yeah. We can fulfill this. Exactly. Whatever their pain point is. And here are the things that they enjoy. In addition to that, here's who we are. So there's some other um, attributes you're going to give them that they might not have currently that they view as unique and valuable and hopefully aligns with whatever the corporate mission or the corporate philosophy is from that company. Cause you know that better than anyone else, right? Yeah. Then see one of those contracts coming up, who's responsible for those contracts, who's signing off on those contracts and have the conversation with them and say, what would it take for another janitorial company to come in and supplant Janikin? What would they have to do? And get that answer. Yeah. So if I can provide a company that does that, you'd be willing to talk to them and have a conversation with them about going forward with uh, a new business venture with them allowing your janitorial services. And more than likely, they're going to say yes, right? So you yeah. make sure you weave those things in and you prove that you can do it just as good as the next person or better than the current vendor. And people, I just everyone who's listening, what he just told you is literally what people pay thousands of dollars to just hear. So just understand, he just gave you a big nugget of information that can be used in any aspect of any business you want to start. So thank you so much for providing that. No problem. So you you talked about people having fear, right? So that's the biggest thing. Usually, do I have a customer or is there a customer out there? The other piece I would say for people who have fear is if they can't leverage their current employer, also remember, when you're working as an employee for an employer, those companies have relationships too. So the, it's not just your company to look at, yeah. but the other company that your company has relationships with. Yeah, all their managers, vendors. Right. You know managers there, 
and they might have some of the same pain points with janitorial services or X, Y, and Z, right? So you've got to start to build those relationships as well and say, hey, you know, I might work for ABC company, but we work with D, E, and F company. And I know Jimmy from DEF, he's a sales manager there. We buy his products all the time, right? Blah, 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 blah. Let me see who his janitorial providers are and their opportunity there. And, and try to stay as close to home as possible so that you can get your first streams of revenue in. Right. And you got to remember, they will know you. So you're not an unknown entity. You're yeah. not just Joe Blow hanging out, a, handing out a flyer on his street <laughs> corner, right? Uh, or some unknown entity that's a janitorial service. You're actually someone who's worked with them in the past and they've built a relationship with you. So I would take advantage of that and use that, leverage that uh, relationship. Leverage all the relationships that you have first before you go out and try to farm anything else. Correct. That's really, really good. That's solid advice. That's one of the better advice that I've heard from that question. Um, so thank you so much for that. Um, now, there's somebody that wants to start something. They're listening to this. They're like, man, you know, Greg, I don't have as much money. I don't have that money. I have an idea, but I don't have the money. Um, what kind of advice you would give that person who doesn't have the financial capital to get started in their idea? So there are a lot of different ways to get funding, right? The most prominent ways that entrepreneurs get funding is family and friends and credit cards. Mm-hmm. Those are number one and number two. Some people are always like, oh, get a small business loan. That's hard to come by. Uh, that's hard to come by. And there's a small percentage of entrepreneurs who actually started with a small business loan. Now, one of the things that's becoming more prominent, and I haven't used it myself, but I have talked to entrepreneurs about this, is crowdfunding, right? Mm-hmm. That's becoming more popular as well. You got a good idea, you know, you post something, and there are certain sites just dedicated to entrepreneurs in reference to crowdfunding. Yeah. I would say that's an opportunity you have to look at as well. But I would say you got to look at all your funding, different op- opportunities, and of course, your own funding, right? What do you have? 401k. And I tell people, don't do that. It's like last resort, right? You don't want to spend your retirement money unless you have to, right? Unless you feel that you're that confident in it. But I would tell you always, um, most of the entrepreneurs, friends and family, number one, credit cards, number two. And then I would look at crowdfunding, which I think has become more prominent in the last mm, three to five years. And if I could piggyback on one of those is uh, sometimes try to, I always say you might have a service or a skill already that you can use to start um, Mm -hmm. to provide funding for what you're doing. Um, You know, you have a perfect example. If you're an accountant at work, you can just provide accountant services to build on the side for maybe personal people um, or other small businesses that you can build up the funding for your janitorial services oh, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. If you have another way to hustle the money, yeah. Absolutely hustle the money some other way. Yeah, because a lot is, of people there are some services like Cabbage and Lendio where you can go and look for different offers. There are some things in the small business uh, administration where they'll tell you if you're a minority owned business or a woman owned business, there are uh, grants that you can get. But again, it's those tough are to come by far between yeah. to come by. And I I wouldn't hold my breath thinking you're going to get that. Um, that's like, you know, pie in the sky if you do, but realistically, very difficult to come by. And, uh, me being, uh, I've, I've, you know, had a janitorial services and looking to be like what they call the MBE, a minority business owner mm-hmm. and trying to get those grants. What you learn very quickly is that there are larger companies that will make a woman 
like their mom or their wife or their sister, a a part owner of the company. And now it's technically a minority owned company. Granted, no one's a minority besides they're just women. um, And they now can get that funding because they also have relationships. Um, So they'll get most of the contracts and they'll get most of the funding and they're not brown or any other color besides just being a woman. Um, So just do know that 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 exists and a lot of that sucks up the capital that's ruined supposed to be there for that minority business owner. I I think what's important for people to understand is there's always an inside game. Mm -hmm. Uh, People look and say, oh, such and such got a contract. Such and such got this contract. Uh, There was probably a relationship there somewhere that you just didn't know of, but there's a relationship in probably 80% of it. Let's do the 80-20 rule, right? Yep. So leveraging the relationships you have to get a contract, that's not unusual. Yeah. See, we sometimes as a people think that you know, oh, it's fair for everybody. No. Nah. <laughs> so, no. so you have to think. See, my rule is always this. You got to go in, watch and observe, and see who the winners are in any game. Yep. And you have to see what, con- what consistent or similar things they do that make them winners. Mm-hmm. And you have to turn your game into it's that, that. Yep. to also be a winner. Yep. But don't think you're going to do it differently and be a winner. No, because those are the you're not the one keeping score. They are. Yeah. Now, once you get enough chips that you keep in score, then, yes, you can change the rules. Yep. And we're, we all look forward to that. But to get in, you got to first observe the winners, figure out what they're doing, learn how to be a winner and then become a winner. Yeah. The easiest way to do that sometimes is just to get next to them, you know, provide yes. something for them, be around them. You know, if you can go grab a drink, grab a drink, pepper them with questions, you know, like right. just be around them. You pick up more game just being next to them than actually not than than watching from an outside view. Absolutely. Absolutely. But my point is there's an inside game. Yeah. Don't think just because you fill out a form, you're going to get it done. The other thing I would tell you is entrepreneurs. One of the things that's most important is, and I know this isn't necessarily a topic for you, the drone that you want to talk about, but I always tell entrepreneurs, have a local bank. Don't go to Wells Fargo. Don't go to Bank of America. Have a local bank, okay? I can text my bank manager when I have a question. I don't think any of you can do that with Bank of America or Wells Fargo. I mean, even if you can, they change people so much that that yes, <laughs> right, so, right. So my person, my person texts me sometimes, right? Yeah. Like when PPPs were going around the loan, PPP loan. Yeah, they called me and said, "Hey, are you going to file a PPP loan?" I said, "No." They said, "Well, if you do, let us know so we can look out for your application." That's a yeah. local bank. And bank of America ain't calling you <laughs> to do that or Wells Fargo. Yeah. So at least not last time I checked, unless you got a couple billion in the account, right? So when it comes to I always say this, when it comes to lending or your, your uh, banking institution, find a local bank, credit, credit union, whatever it might be, where they're going to know who you are when you walk in the door. Uh-huh. And their goal is to build your business because that means more money in their accounts. If you're with some of those big guys, you're just a number. Yep. And your number is not significant enough. That you're a rounding error on the monthly report, okay? <laughs> so I'll just be honest. <laughs> so, 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 so if you don't want to be a rounding error, make sure you use a local bank. Um, and again, I can call my bank manager. They text me, hey, by the way, have you heard about such and such and such and such new, the second, the second round of PPE loans? You sure you don't want to get in? Like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm okay. 
But yeah. you just you have that relationship, and they want you to grow with them, and they're looking to grow with you. So that's that's a very good piece of advice. Yeah, I wish someone would have taught me that because I was banking with my first company with HSBC, who didn't care <laughs> who I was right. whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, when, we, when we went to a local, like we went to a federal credit union after that, on, like a credit union, and they mm-hmm. were just so much nicer. They sent us Christmas gifts. It was what a oh, different, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what right, a right. difference. <laughs> and also, usually, usually when I talk to the entrepreneurs today i tell them you know if you can get a navy credit federal federal union that's good because they have a lot of good programs for businesses mm-hmm. but of course someone in your family has to be in the military but they do they have access code once you have the access code once you're in you're in you yeah. don't have to be in the navy uh so um, that's a good bank for businesses as well because uh, yeah. what we do as a business and as a group um our group black ops what we do is we try and look for the best advice to give individuals and business owners mm-hmm. um to make sure we can say you know you should be using this or you should try this as a program because they're all searching for something. And at least that's one that we have experience with. So there's Navy Federal Credit Union or the local banks. We can talk to them about those types of things. So we Got try it. and recommend things like that as much as possible. So you just bring up, you just brought up um, Black Ops. Uh, can you explain a little bit more of what that is? Yeah. So Black Ops is a group of us, uh, black uh, senior black executives and black entrepreneurs. And we've kind of, you know, made our bones. We've made some money, made some wealth. So what we've tried to do is we're, as a collective, we try and give back uh, to the minorities of color. What we're trying to do is teach them how to build wealth. So we hold free classes. Um, We also uh, do some coaching, uh, whether it's we're trying to develop senior uh, executives of color, Mm -hmm. or we're trying to um, focus on entrepreneurs who are trying to build their business or start a business. So we try and focus on that and we've done that. And so we came together and we said, how can we help our community, right? What's the best way we can help our community? Cause we know we got some talented people out there. They just don't have access to information. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the most powerful things that we can provide. So what we did is we created a website called blackops.center. Again, that's blackops.center. You can go there. We have free classes. We have free realist. Uh, we have a free personal finance class. Cause we feel that that's the foundation for everything. You've got to have your personal finances correct. Then we have classes on how to build your wealth um, through real estate, which is, again, free. And then the third free class we have is cryptocurrency for beginners. Mm-hmm. So because we think that's the future, right, especially with all the stimulus money being printed on a regular basis now. So uh, and you see, I think Bitcoin, I think it was probably up to thirty four or thirty six thousand dollars today. So um, but again, not a bad place to be. So we have free classes. Uh, we also have some books that are coming out next month. Um, and then we have some, if you want to pay for one-on-one classes, you can pay for one-on-one classes, but that's not what our focus is. And we just do that because there are some individuals, like we spent two hours today talking to an individual one-on-one, where they need more dedicated time and attention to go through their specifics and help them build specifically what they're trying to do versus the broader comments and the guides that we're, the guide that we're trying to give them. So, but that's not our focus. Our focus is giving back to our community to make sure we can build wealth and we can close the wealth gap. Got so it. we have free classes to do that. And we also have, we do some executive coaching. We have podcasts as well. Um, most of them have been focused on uh, some of the social issues we have for the last nine months. But eventually we're going to go back to, or we're going to start focusing on career development and growth, as well as entrepreneurship uh, on our podcast as well. And Got we it. typically do a podcast about once a month uh, or once every three weeks. 
Got it. Well, um, definitely, guys, go check out that, that especially that personal financing. That's a big, 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 big area that most people have mm-hmm. to like n- nail down before you can actually go and build your business. Because if you have sloppy personal finance um, behaviors or habits, it's just going to bleed right into your business. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially early stage entrepreneurs, make a mistake of like they make some money with their business and then they go spend that money right out that account. Um, right. And that can cause you a lot of financial problems, <laughs> something called commingling. It's like it's yes. not worth it. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you should learn in your personal finances and habits that will, if you learn that well, will spill over into your um, professional and entrepreneurship life. Absolutely. I wanted to jump into episode really quickly to tell you about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is True Digital Designs. That's T R U Digital Designs. Now, I'm going to be honest, when I was looking for a place to build my website, I was lost in the sauce. I didn't know which where to go. Should I go WordPress? Should I go this? I was just confused. Um, and I reached out to a good friend of mine, Andrew John. He's the founder of True Digital Designs, and he was able to make us a clean, beautiful, mobile-first website. Um, and you know, the great part about Andrew and his company is that he understands that early-stage entrepreneurs um, have to fund everything themselves. So he offers even payment plans um, to help uh, people get their websites started and you don't have to break your bank to get that thing going uh, especially when you're just starting to fund your side hustle um, so he understands that he works with entrepreneurs and he gives you exactly what you're looking for for your website and for all the h for hustle listeners he's giving you a promo code it's hustle 15 go to websites true tru digital designs.com type in the code hustle 15 and you get 15 percent off uh, the prices that he has there. So let's get back into the episode. What do you think is some of the things holding um, minority business owners back? Not not so much. I, I know the country we live in, right? We're, we're in America. We know that right. there's, there's certain things set up systematically that are jamming a lot of minority business owners up. But besides those systematic things, what are certain things that you think are blocking um, a more black entrepreneurship and more growth happening in that in the black brown latin x community yeah so i would say the first and foremost is information right i think a lot of them don't know how to maneuver in certain situations mm-hmm. or they're using old tricks to maneuver that yeah. don't work in the business world right uh, so you know when you and i were growing up right your mother and father said, work hard, do good, show up for work, and you'll, you'll progress. Yeah, you'll right? retire, you'll retire, get a watch, and that's the end Right, of right. But, but that's not how it works, right? What it works is you have to understand how to play the game. And you have to understand, you know, how to, how to score points in the game. Well, it's the same thing in corporate as it is for entrepreneurship. Okay, in corporate, you need to understand what's, what, what's good and what's bad, right? Mm-hmm. And what that looks like. But no one tells you. They don't give you a book and say, in this corporation, here's what's good and here's what's bad, <laughs> right? You typically need a mentor to help you mm-hmm. maneuver the, you know, maneuver um, the waves or, and or, right? You need coaching from whether it's an outside executive or something like that. But hopefully from within, from people that look like you, yeah, see and understand it and understand how to play the game. Yeah, because there's also a nuance that comes with looking like you, you know, like exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's different. That. It's different. Yeah. Entrepreneurship the same way. You have to figure out. Yes, we live in America. You're not changing that, all right? Yeah. Systematic racism ain't going away tomorrow, all right? No. If it, if it, if we could figure out how to do that, we would have done that a long time ago, all right? Yeah. So, so the question is, 
How do you maneuver through that? How do you become successful? And then how do you change each one of those barriers later? And that's kind of like we are in black ops. We've made it through those maneuvers, either as a senior executive or as an entrepreneur. So what we're trying to do is provide the information so the probability for success amongst our people who are now attempting to do it becomes higher. The last thing I want to have happen as I you know, pass away to the other side is to think that I didn't do as much as I could to help my people. Yeah. Well, the first part of that is providing them the wealth of knowledge that I have in being successful in being successful in corporate at the highest level, in the highest level of companies, as well as the highest level of position, as well as being successful as an entrepreneur of color, right? Yeah. If I didn't share that, then who am I? Like, what does that say for me if I can't help my people and teach my people? Now, it doesn't mean that they're all going to take those decisions and execute them, right? But, but I always give them access to it. Exactly. I always go, well, you're now informed, right? See, before, if you're uninformed, if you're an uninformed participant, your probability of success very is low. very low. If you're an informed participant, it's pretty good. Yeah. If you're a performed participant who executes on that information, even it's going to be even higher. Yeah. So, I'm saying, I always say to myself and, you know, the collective group of folks that we have, I've always said to them, listen, you got to ask what's your legacy, right? Your legacy is not how much money you have in your bank account. Your legacy to me is what you can do for your people and move them forward. So to me, the first piece of this is providing information, right? Now you can say, you know, well, um, people of color that are entrepreneurs don't have access to funding, right? Or the correct funding. But if we can teach you how to do that better, then that's more probability yeah. that you're going to be successful in it. Yeah, right? because there's there's also an inside game to that, like you were saying earlier. You know, right. there's certain places that you can go and certain people you can talk to, and you can Correct. yeah, you can work around the systematic racism that does exist. It you just have to know and how to maneuver that whole thing. Correct. Now the other piece that I will say, and I'm going to say this, you know, everybody's not going to like it, but you have to be committed to your craft. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, part of your craft is absorbing as much information as you can to increase your probability for success. Mm -hmm. Don't assume it's just going to come to you because you got a great idea, right? Surround yourself by people, could be a podcast like this, that are going to give you a wealth of information to make you better. Read books and understanding from Black entrepreneurs that are going to make you better and seek that information out. Yeah. But don't just assume because you have a good idea. A good idea is going to equal a lot of wealth. <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah, not it's at a all. Lot of execu- <laughs> it's a lot of execution on a good idea that's going to lead. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you've got to seek out information and you've got to go to people who are willing to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Now, all those people are not going to look like us. They're not going to be people of color. Some of them might not be. And that's fine, too, because you can learn and understand the game from them as well. Yeah. But you're not going to be in the same position as them when the when the game starts. Yeah. You need to make sure you understand that. So the things that they're doing might be at a different level because they're in a different position than you. So where you start is going to be a little bit different, but you can learn from as many people as possible. But it's around information. But you have to be thirsty for for that knowledge and you've got to go seek it out. Don't just assume it's going to come to you. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell a lot of people the internet has made this game a little more flatter. Like the hill that we had to climb up has gotten yes. a little flatter for us to kind of go because the information is now democratized. It's like across the board. You can Correct. find it and you can find people who look like you, who have maneuvered through the things you've maneuvered through. And you can maybe even get a conversation or jump on a Skype or a Zoom or right. sometimes they've been on a podcast you can listen to and they'll give up free right. nuggets of information on those things. So the the you know the, the playing field has been leveled a bit. It's not mm-hmm. it's not perfectly even but it's definitely right. has made it a little bit easier to get information mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and again uh you know to give you a plug that's what these kind of podcasts are designed for right you should be listening to these podcasts every time you have a chance right whether you're just driving along to work whether you're working out whatever the case might be because that's the information that's going to change you right yeah listen to a podcast atlanta housewives is not going to make your life any better <laughs> Okay. All right. So we Do as a people that need to make sure you listen to this. You know? <laughs> right. I understand. Yeah. I understand you want some silly release. Okay, yeah. I get it. But uh in order to get there, in case you want to live like them, yeah. you need to listen to podcasts like this. Yeah, take the medicine before you take the candy, you know? There you go. Right, right, right. Stop popping all those candies. Pieces of candy. All right. Um, so um, you know, two two of my final questions. Um how has entrepreneurship changed your life for the good and for the bad? Cause a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, we talk about like the overall journey, but sometimes we forget to you know mention the pitfalls and the hard work that goes into it. Um, but so how has entrepreneurship changed you for the good and for the bad? Well, the first thing is a matter of control as an entrepreneur, you have a, you have a level of control that you wouldn't have inside a corporation, right? You decide your working hours, your focus, you decide your everything. Now, to some people, that's two-edged sword, double-edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. Like now, all of a sudden, they have to be familiar or do things like maybe it's people management that they didn't necessarily like to do before, right? They just like <laughs> to be an accountant and sit behind a desk, right? Now, I got to manage these 20 people and make sure they do what they should be doing anyway, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? That I'm paying them to do. So um, I think the positives are is control. You're in control of your own destiny. Now, like anything, of course, there are going to be outside influences that can impact it, Right. Because typically anything you do will be a confluence of things, right? It'll be what are your strategy and what you're executing, what your competitors are doing and what they're executing, and what's going on in the marketplace, yeah. right? Those are typically the three confluences you see in any kind of environment, whether it's corporate or entrepreneurship. But you control that complete stream as an entrepreneur, right? And that's what's different. In corporate, you only, you know, you might be a droplet in the stream. Yeah. So uh, it's completely different from that perspective. That's that's an advantage. And to that advantage, also, um, you get to um, share in the wealth, 100% of what you can bring in, right? So your your reward, your work ratio to war ratio is one-to-one, right? Versus it could be different. Because listen, when I was in corporate, I worked more than 60 hours a week when I was in corporate, right? But the relationship of work to you know, wealth or payout wasn't one to one, and no, no, no shape or form to what I was helping to produce to what I was getting paid was definitely not that. So that's the advantage. Um, the negative, and this really depends on who you are, what's in your DNA. And I tell people like, listen, you can't make a dog be a cat. Okay, you got to be built for this. Everybody thinks, oh, entrepreneur, I just, I'll just have an idea and I'll just go execute and I'll just go do. Nah, you got to be ready to grind. Yeah. You got to be able 
to stay focused. Um, and that's important. Um, but you still have to be flexible mm -hmm. as you're focused, right? And you're juggling 20 different things. So the negative I will say is, if you're not built this way, then being an entrepreneur will be extremely stressful and not cut out for you. Yeah. Okay. But to piggyback on that though, even if mm -hmm. it's not for you, there's still ways to be an entrepreneur. You might, you might not be the number one, you might mm -hmm. be the number three and Correct. you can provide something within the company and maybe you're the finance guy. You can then mm -hmm. go on, on that company and just manage the finance, but you're not the, you know, the guy that's running. The, the you're not the CEO. Correct. Yeah. So just yes. sometimes you can get on and still have ownership, but you know, you're just not the guy. So like you said, knowing your DNA, maybe it's right. best to be the number four guy. Like you, you, you run the sales team or something like that. Right. Or you might start off as the investor <laughs> providing some of the money, right? Exactly. And have ownership. So you're still an entrepreneur. You're just not running it yeah. uh, from the standpoint of, uh, of being involved in the business on an ongoing daily basis. But I think you got to ask yourself. And so the negative as an entrepreneur is uh, you are typically responsible for right. a lot. Yeah. And, and, and for some people, that's stressful, right? You've got five employees, you'll feel that you're responsible for those employees and their families, mm -hmm. right? And the success of your business. So you have to have broad shoulders, um, male or female, to be a success, to be a good entrepreneur uh, and for it not to bother you. So the biggest thing I think, the biggest negative is realize what you're taking on. Yeah. And some people underestimate what they're taking on because They've never, not only have they never been an entrepreneur, but they've never even been around entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? They might see the flash of the Instagram someone's, picture, right? right, right, right. <laughs> someone showing, look at my success as an entrepreneur, but they haven't worked with an entrepreneur. So one of the things I'll tell you is like, if you haven't worked as, a, if you haven't been an entrepreneur, go spend a week and work with an entrepreneur, follow an entrepreneur around, right? Yeah. See how crazy their schedule is. See what they do. See how they do it, right? And I'm not talking about somebody who's got, you know, 10,000 employees. I'm talking about somebody who's got, like, you know, the same ten. amount of employees you're going to have, right? Yeah. Exactly. One yeah. to 10 employees, right? Yeah. Just go and see what is it they have to do. Again, you're going to follow somebody who's successful, someone who's already made some money and is already, you know, you don't want to follow an entrepreneur who hasn't done anything, those things. But then follow them around just for a couple of days and ask them, what does it take? What do they see? Don't. Don't take it just from reading Inc. or Forbes or Fortune magazine. Follow someone around and ask them, what does it take to be successful? Yeah, smell the air. See what it, see what it really feels like. Yes, yes. Once, once you see that schedule, <laughs> yeah, and how exactly. windy and turny it is and, you know, how some days, you know, they, you, you want to cry. <laughs> it's, right, right. It's yeah, so. a picture for you. <laughs> right, because I remember people say, well, oh, I didn't know you were on vacation. I was like, you don't have to know, right? Like, I was in Asia taking phone calls, right? Um, vacation with my kids. And they were like, oh, well, like, is what it is. That's the reason we're on this vacation, right? We're on vacation for three weeks. Like, I'm taking phone calls, right? Yeah. The difference when you're an entrepreneur is not being on vacation. It's when you're on vacation, what calls and emails do you do you have to return? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're returning some. You're yeah. not shutting down to zero, typically, as an entrepreneur. Never. Yeah. So you, you put yourself on cruise control. And now you now here's the other thing. And this is going to sound a little odd, but your partner has to be bought into you being an entrepreneur as well, because it is going to affect your life. Man, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. 
Oh my God, that is a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Uh, talk about relationships and entrepreneurship. Oh uh, my God. Oh yeah. Your, 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 your partner has to be a ride or die in and the they, understanding that you're not a nine to five person anymore. And they have to believe in you. Like, yes, they, they have to believe in the concept of what you're trying to do. And you. And you. Absolutely. Yep. Uh-huh. And, and if that you is- don't have that, you're going to be fighting a tough Mm-hmm. very tough battle uphill absolutely so yeah jerome you having that one you just call me back for that conversation <laughs> <laughs> i already got some stories i can tell you man that, <laughs> that is a whole other part I, I probably will call you back for that yeah. that is something that is not talked about um i tell mm-hmm. a lot of early stage entrepreneurship entrepreneurship is the first time i ever cried about myself to myself like in the shower <laughs> i'm crying about things that i know i have to do or control or whatever it is and mm-hmm. in it's it's all on me you know and it's Absolutely. it's it's sometimes it's very isolating it's like you know all the decisions mm-hmm. are on you everything's on you and if you make the right move everyone else sees the win in it you don't always see the win because sometimes you're making the right move and all your employees are going to be benefiting from the right move not you. yeah yeah i agree 100 percent, and i think one of the um opportunities you and i need to look at is how we can coach a lot of those people. Cause a lot of coaching sometimes is just being that sounding board, right? Yeah. Letting people know that they're not the only ones out there who've gone through this yeah. and will go through it again. But also more importantly to understand, you know, this isn't going to be the, the last time, right? Just because it's the first time, I don't mean it would be the last time. Yeah. And that there are other resources out there that can help guide them through. Yeah. Because I think the biggest thing is the biggest fear you will have as an entrepreneur is the anxiety of being all alone. Yep. That's, that's why I always went in with partnerships. I always went Mm -hmm. with, you know, two other people, one other person, because I I just know how much that sounding board or that other person, or sometimes you might be the optimist all the time. And then the situation happens and you're just not optimistic, but then the partner is like, (laughs) no, we got this, let's go. And you know, you've all, you have somebody else to sound it off on and you're not alone because sometimes a lot of shit will happen at work or running your company and you can't go home and talk about it because your wife is right. like, what happened? And you're like, man, only if you knew, I just made a $40,000 mistake today. And right, I can't right, talk right, right. I'm not sure how we're going to make, uh, we're going to clear payroll next month. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, that's, and that's just based off of like trusting a vendor or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be, or, you know, a check is going to be late. And then do you mm-hmm. want to come home and talk about that? Because, you know, right. that conversation is mm-hmm. quite different. <laughs> right. But you got to realize most people though, most people, uh, I do not think a lot of entrepreneurs are growing with a, a crowd of people or a group of people. A lot yeah. of them try and do it on their own, by themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On their a, own. Lot, a lot. And mm-hmm. I got to ask you this because this is something that I'm on the fence about and this, you know, kind of a little bit off. But, you know, I always say there's a lot of entrepreneurs that go and start something based mm-hmm. off like someone tells them they're good at it, right? So they're, you're a really good cook. You should start a restaurant. You're really good mm-hmm. at this, so you should do that. And I don't always think that's like the best thing, right? Because you're good at something doesn't mean you should start a business in that. Because, you you know, <laughs> understanding how to cook and being a good cook doesn't make you a good restaurateur, right? Like it just makes you a good cook. Yes. Do, what's your advice on that? Because I'm kind of split between that. So so I would say, uh, I would say there's actually a couple different groups I put things in. Some people want to make a business out of a hobby. Yeah. It's something they enjoy. Yeah. And I tell people, you know, my first entrepreneurial venture was not something I enjoyed, but it was something I was good at. Yeah. Right. 
and people could see the value of me doing it and doing it extremely well. So it is, you first have to decide, is it something you like to do or something you're very proficient and good at? Yeah. Okay. So if it's sometimes do, I think it's better to go with number two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If it's something you like to do, I would tell you, just keep doing it. Not sure if it's going to be a good best business for you yeah. because you're also going to make decisions that aren't business related decisions mm-hmm. in that bucket. Okay. Something you're good at doing. Yes. I think that you can do a business on something you're good at doing, but if you're a good cook, doesn't mean you're going to be a good uh, restaurateur, right? It means you might want to be a private chef, Yeah, but it's, you have to now understand based on what you do, what's the best opportunity. But don't just go for what I'll call the quick fix solution, right? Oh, if you're a good cook, you need to own a restaurant. Yeah, it's a lot to own in a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, and good cook, uh, no. Yeah, <laughs> and, and most restaurateurs don't cook anymore. Like, <laughs> Correct, correct, right. But what you see running around, they do not cook, right? They, yeah, they kind of cook as a hobby at home every now yeah. and then, but they're not cooking in the restaurant. Right. Yeah. Right, so I would tell you that's not always a good thing. So I would tell you, it needs to be something you're proficient and very good at. And then you need to understand, is it something that I want to do every day? So I always tell entrepreneurs this. When you get into a business, make sure it's the business you're okay with making the donuts. And they're like, what? I was like, I remember my friend and I had a chance to go buy, it was like 64 Dunkin' Donuts, right? It was Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins, they were combined, right? Yeah. And so we were talking and he said, um, well, what's going to happen? Are you willing to make the donuts? And I said, what? He said, you know, if some of these managers don't come in, are you going to be, are you going to be rolling in at five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning making donuts? I said, oh, hell no. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I don't want the so, donuts. Right. right. So, <laughs> so you have to also be careful. Are you willing to make the donuts in any job you're going to take? I remember it was funny because I was talking to this entrepreneur, young uh, black guy, and he came to me and said, hey, I was thinking about starting a trucking business. I said, oh, okay, cool. So you get, when are you getting your CDL? He's like, well, I'm not getting my CDL. And then you're not getting your CDL? He's like, no, I'm just going to hire drivers. And I'm like, I mean, I didn't ask if you're going to drive. I asked if you're going to get a CDL. Because, like, in case one of them doesn't show up. You got to drive that truck. What? Right? If you got a contract with, a, you know, let's say uh, um, a safe or yeah. Target or whoever, they expect that truck. You can't say, well, you know, my driver had, you know, he had a family issue, couldn't come in today. Right? And that's not going to work. I mean, yeah. it'll work to get you fired, but it's not going to work to maintain. So I said, you got to be willing. You got to be willing to get a CDL, like to at least jump in the truck. If the truck is left in Carolina at the last drop, and now it's got to go to South Carolina, how's it getting from North Carolina to South Carolina? Yeah. Right, like stuff like that. Like, yeah. But you have to be willing to make the donuts. So first one is you got to be proficient. Second one is it something you really want to do? And third, can you make the donuts? Yeah. I can staff if something happens to my staffing team. I can staff. Yeah. It doesn't mean I want to staff, but, you but can I can do, do staffing. Yeah, you right. can get I can on the phone, the phone and, and, and do, do that. Right. Yeah. I still train all the people who come into my staffing company. Right. So I can still staff. So I can make the donuts if I need to. That to me is important, especially when you're in, you know, a fledgling startup, you're just starting your business. You have to be able to do that. If you're depending upon other people to do the basics of your business and you don't know how to do the basics of your business or you can't step in and do it. Yeah. That's a that's a uh, tough space to be in. Yeah, that's a definitely a warning. We're <laughs> opposite warning. <laughs> so, so I would say that. So that to me is where I would look. So to answer your question, you, yes, you can be good at it, but then you have to answer several questions underneath that to make sure it's the right fit. And just don't jump into something. Just don't say because I'm a good cook, I can own a restaurant. Because you're a good cook, you might want to be a private chef. Yeah. 
right? And then, and you know, there's nothing wrong with being a solopreneur, you know, is you, you right. yeah, you're just, it's you, maybe you have a virtual assistant or one other person, um, you know, mm-hmm. you'll make enough money that you would make being like an employee, but you control your own time and your own skill. You know, there's a lot of those going around and that's fine. That's a hundred percent fine. Um, but you know, to go start a restaurant, like you said, sometimes it's not the right move. Nah, don't, don't just jump. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's like, I got a rope and now I think I'm a cowboy. Uh, so that, that's, that's not the same thing. Okay. All right. Definitely so not. My last question, um, I access to every guest. Do you believe that where your level of success has been right now has been based off of luck or your hustle? Oh man. Well, luck is what, when preparation meets opportunity, right. It's considered to be luck for most yeah, so, people. So they so, say, yeah. Yeah. So I would say it's hustle. I say it's hustle more than anything else. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. Some people say it's, you'd rather, it's rather to be, it's better to be lucky than to be good. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would say is it's better to be good and focused hundred percent of the time and hustling hundred yeah. percent of the time that creates luck for you to me. Yeah. Right. Because you're going to be available and hustling when other people are going to be sleeping. Yeah. Right. You're going to be working on your craft while other people are playing. Yep. So to me, hustle and effort. Yeah, I'd rather have somebody can hustle and effort all the time. Plus, that's within your control. Yeah, luck is not within your control. So I, I would say I'm all about the hustle. Right. Yeah. Get in the grind. Get in the hustle. Don't let anybody outwork you. Okay. You got no excuse for that. Yeah. You can you control that. Right. Yeah. That's the one thing you can control. Right. It's like I used to coach my son's basketball team. Right. Like, and I was like, listen. You might not be good on offense, but you got no excuse to be good on defense, right? Because yeah. that's all around effort and hustle. Yeah. So if you give me your effort, that's all I need, right? Yeah. We'll win. So give me your effort. Now, if you don't show up and you don't have effort, this is the wrong game to be in. Yep. Go this get it. Go game. get go get a job. Get really good at that job and then go from there. Right. Like, you know, go get a job, go work for a county or a state or municipality. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where the expectations ain't that high. Uh, and then there are also entrepreneur opportunities within that, you know, you can just put your money up and like I said, not run the thing, but get an equity share of different things. So there's ways to still be an entrepreneur, but you just invest or since you Mm -hmm. don't have the DNA for that, that level of hustle. Right. And you, that's one of the first things you have to be able to be self-aware and understand what you're good at, what you're not good at, or at least people around you, they can tell you, this is what you're good at. This is what you're not good at. But don't have somebody who's just pumping your head up. Uh, <laughs> that's not going to end well. So you got to have somebody who's going to give you some um, real live, um, candid feedback. Yeah. And that's most of us don't look for candid feedback. Most of us look for affirmation of what we're trying to do, or they're looking for debate. But very few people are actually looking for candid feedback to get better. Yeah, there's this book that I read called Radical Candor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I got it on my book series. Yeah, which yeah. is about like, you know, getting those people around you that can give you that truth. Right. <laughs> you it's know, like you, Kim Scott's. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's one of the things I teach and coach senior executives, right? And it's called the 1% rule. And they said, what does that mean? I said, well, this is, you know, scientifically, they'll tell you that only 10% of the people want real candid feedback. Yep. Okay. But only 10% of the people are willing to receive okay. candid feedback. So that's, only 1%. that's why most of the CEOs I deal with, or I call them one percenters, because they deal with me as an executive coach because they want true candid feedback. Yeah. yeah. So because they're willing to take it in 
and do something with it. Yeah. You see what I mean? So that's the one percenter. And that's why only certain people can, can be CEOs, successful CEOs, mm-hmm. right? It's that 10 and 10. So only 10% of people want to give it. I'm definitely one of those 10 if you ask me a question. <laughs> uh, and only 10, 10% of people willing to receive it and do something with it. And I'm also one of those people too, because I believe continuous improvement is the only way to be if you're going to be successful, in, whether it's in corporate America or an entrepreneur, is continue to get better, right? Because if you're standing still, you're getting passed. Yeah. So, you have to continue to get better each and every day and ask how, how do we make this better? How's it, how do we improve? Great. So thank you so much. You gave, uh, I mean, a ton of information in this podcast. You dropped <laughs> gems all over the place. It's like a jewelry store right now because there's so much gems that have been dropped. Um, if people want to continue this conversation with you or they want to reach out to you and find out more or, you know, getting coached or tutored by you, where can they go to find you? So they can go to blackops.center. Uh, go to our website. Um, you can subscribe. Um, you can also contact us directly. Ask me questions if you like. Um, you can listen to our podcast. Again, they've mostly been focused on social issues. That will change uh, now that we've got a different president. Yay. Uh, so <laughs> that'll change to, to more progressive things about career development, and entrepreneurship. And like I said, uh, actually, as of tomorrow, there should be an entrepreneurship class. I would advise people to sign up for it. You can ask questions. We'll have usually the class is two hours. We do a, a same session, just like a video session where they can ask questions and learn and develop. And once you're in touch with us at Black Ops Center, we'll continue to provide information. Uh, and you can just reach us anyway, ask questions, and we'll try our best to give you as, uh, the best answer we can. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I also will link all of that in the description um, where you can find all of that and where you can reach out to Greg. So, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it, Jerome. I appreciate being there. Thanks for having me. And just like that, another illustrious episode is in the can. One of the biggest lessons that I learned from Greg was the answer he gave about um, transitioning from working your full-time job into um, running your own business. See if you can turn your job that you have now into your first customer or try to find information. Maybe there's a vendor that they work with that you could turn into your first customer. And I thought that was such a great answer and something I I never thought about. So that was such a solid answer. I would love to know what you guys learned from this episode, what you picked up. What was the knowledge bombs that Greg was dropping that you picked up? Um, Hit me up on Instagram. I am Jerome Fenton on Instagram. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Just type in Jerome Fenton. Facebook, um, hit me up. Also, go to the H for Hustle podcast Instagram page and just let me know what you thought of this week's episode. Hit me in the DMs. Slide in my DMs. I'm all, everybody's welcome. Um, So, guys, that's it for this week. I'm going to close the show out with the with the quote from the late great Nipsey Hussle, the quote goes, the game is going to test you. Never fold. Stay 10 toes down. It's not on you. It's in you. And what's in you, they can't take away. That's it, guys. Peace. Boom.